Welcome to Legally Uncensored. I am your host, Demetria Graves, attorney and certified family law specialist in the Los Angeles area. And my goal when I created this podcast was to discuss with you all a lot of lessons I've learned in my career and what I see my clients experience, what I have experienced, what my friends have experienced, and to discuss those experiences. And hopefully you don't go through what we're discussing, but if you do, to make sure that you are equipped and informed and you are ready to handle whatever is in front of you. So I am thrilled that you all are listening. It warms my heart, and I hope you are learning what you need to learn as you face whatever issue is in front of you. And so you have the beauty of my experience and my client's experience and my friends' and family's experience for you to use as you go through your own experiences. So thank you so much for listening. Please follow me on all social media platforms. I am on Instagram and Facebook at Legally Uncensored and Twitter. I finally joined the Twitter family. And today we are starting a divorce series. It is around that divorce season time where a lot of people are making the decision or deciding if divorce is in the near future. So what does this series consist of? Well, I want to start with some of the biggest misconceptions that I hear a lot when talking to people in general about divorce and what it means and all of that great stuff. So we will start the series with the biggest misconceptions, and then we'll talk about what I think that we ignore a lot is the emotional impact of divorce not only on the parties divorcing, but the children, the family, everyone involved. It has been shown that divorce is similar to a death. It's a death of a relationship. And the longer that relationship clearly has more impact. So I think that is something that is overlooked. I personally wish that everyone had to have a therapist or some type of healing course or healing experience as they go through divorce, because it is very challenging. And it's only fair that each party and children and whoever else has the support they need, emotional support they need as they go through the process. So we're going to cover that. And then of course, we're going to cover what is the process? What does it look like? What can you expect How long does it take? That's, I think, the biggest question I I have. How long will it take? And then, and I'll let you know in that series, in that episode. And then, of course, life after divorce, dating after divorce, all of the good stuff, the fun stuff. So we will cover that series um, in the next four or five episodes. So if there's anything that you want me to cover that you want to hear, please don't hesitate to notify me of what you want me to cover. With that said, I want to start off with what I feel are the 10 biggest misconceptions about divorce and the fear and the hesitation I've heard around the misconceptions and how, you know, we can kind of dispel dispel some of the myths that we heard and 
focus on the matter at hand if this is something that you're up against. So the first one you probably could imagine is my spouse cheated on me because they cheated on me. I get all this extra stuff. So some time ago, most states, and I'm in California, so I can speak to California, went to what we call a no-fault state, meaning you don't have to plead to the court as to the reason why you are divorcing. The court is not going to ask, why are you divorcing? Tell me what happened. Let me come down and give you a hug. All the court needs to know is you are divorcing. And I tell people a lot of time, the court is to handle the business of ending your relationship. Tending to your mental health and your emotional needs, that is not what the court is for. And in all honesty, you do not want to pay lawyers and go to court and fight out the emotional part of divorce because that can start costing you a lot of money. And so that's why we're going to talk about that in the emotional impact series, creating your support system while you go through divorce. Please don't misunderstand me. Cheating is wrong. It is hurtful. It ends a lot of relationships. However, that is not what the divorce court is going to consider. Maybe some judges feel it goes to character and that sort of thing. But in my experience, cheating is not going to get you more of anything in the divorce proceeding. And you don't want to spend your time and energy in the divorce um, space debating that. So cheating in California does not get you more in a divorce. So there are some states that allow spouses to sue who their partners get involved with, but that is not part of the divorce proceeding. So yeah, you might get something in that suit, but in terms of divorce, that is not, the court is not going to spend a lot of time as to the reason of the breakdown of the relationship. Another big one that I've heard fathers say is, oh, I'm afraid to file because I know the court is going to give the children to mom. Moms always win custody. And honestly, in the, you know, years ago, that may have been the scenario. And I can see how fathers feel that way. But that is no longer the case. At least I'm in Los Angeles County. And I know a lot of courts that strive to have an equal timeshare between both parents because the studies have shown and continue to show that it is important for children to have meaningful relationships with both parents. And I think a long time there was this big misconception that mom was the better parent or more engaging parent or whatever the situation may have been. But as the studies have been updated and shown the importance of dad just as much as mom, that is no longer the case that mom is automatically going to win custody. And heck, there are some moms now that say, hey, I'm I'm all for joint custody. I get it. I'm not, you know. So it's not automatic that mom, you know, I'm using mom and dad, but there are other fi- um, family dynamics. But for the purposes of ease, I'm just using mom and dad. So it's not an automatic that mom wins custody. So Let me give you a caveat to that, right? If we're talking about really, really 
young babies, like, you know, before one, mom might have more custody initially if she is breastfeeding, if there are special needs for a baby, that sort of thing. So it might be a little lopsided, I'll say, in the beginning, but that is not always the case. And courts do strive to make sure that both parents have what we call frequent and continuing contact with the with the children. So it's not just mom always wins custody, but it's also we have to look at the big picture of what's going on. So the court looks at what are the children typically doing with both parents, right? Does one work all the time? Is one a home? If, does one stay at home? How far do the parties live from each other? What activities are the children participating in? Can both parents get them there? So there's many factors that the court will consider, which may award mom more time, but it doesn't, the court doesn't start that way. So the court's going to look at the totality of the circumstances, I like to say, when making that decision. Another misconception I hear is, I quit my job. Do I have to pay support? Well, yes, you still can be on the hook for paying support if you quit your job. If you are terminated, that's one thing. But if you purposely quit your job to avoid paying support or to avoid paying whatever you think you're going to pay, the court can still impute income to you, meaning the court can assign you the income you would have received had you not quit your job or impute any array of income to you if it can be shown that that is the income that you can earn. So I would not advise and think really long and hard before you decide to quit your job. Yes, especially right now because we're in weird times, but if you lose your job, that's a totally different circumstance. But if you quit your job, you're not totally off the hook in terms of what your responsibility um, would be in terms of what you're paying. So I would really talk to someone, a lawyer, before you make that decision. And I've have seen that done and I've been in a circumstance where a client has done that and courts do not find that person credible if you're doing stuff like that. So be really, really cautious of that. The house. I swear the house is one of the biggest house and retirement. Want <laughs> the two of the biggest concerns that couples have when they're divorcing, especially in States like California, New York, where the real estate is so high and it's a big deal because if one person is staying in the house, where's the other person going to go? And a lot of times couples are required to stay together in the same house while they're divorcing because of the the major costs of living um, here, especially in, in Los Angeles County. But with the house, there's two misconceptions that I hear. One is, oh, yes, I lived in the house of my spouse so I should get half. Well, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Because you move in the house does not mean that the ownership of the house changes. 
there might be some reimbursements to what we call to both of parties if the mortgage was paid during the marriage, but it doesn't change ownership. To have an ownership interest, you have to change the ownership documents, i.e. the deed. So you don't automatically get half of the house because you moved in the house and you were paying the mortgage. So there are so many, we can do a whole show on just the house in general, but Ownership does not change during the marriage unless the parties agree to do that. But there are some reimbursements that the couple may receive if the mortgage is paid during during the marriage. But I'm going to leave it at that because I can go down the rabbit hole with, with the house. Another misconception is we're considering divorce and we have this agreement and they're going to stay with me this amount of time. They're going to stay with my spouse this amount of time, but I'm not going to allow the visits because they are not giving me the agreed upon support that we've agreed on until we go through this process. In a divorce process, the courts look at support as one issue and custody and visitation as issue. I get it. Some feel if you're not going to agree to give me the financial resources we talked about, I'm not going to agree and allow you to see the children the way that we discussed. But that in a divorce setting, that is not how it works. You cannot, well, you can, but you shouldn't punish, quote unquote, punish the other party with the children because they're not paying support. Because the way the court sees it, again, children have a right to have access to both parents. So although they're not paying the money, which is important and I understand that, there should not be a pause in visitation because of that. So that's the legal mindset of it. I get the practical application of that, but that's kind of how the courts would look at that. Another misconception is people believe that you have to divorce in the state or the county where you got married. That is not necessarily true. Most counties, including Los Angeles County, you have to meet particular, what we call jurisdiction guidelines. So you have to be in the state and the county for a specific amount of time, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be where you got married. And you should consider where's all of the property, all of that stuff because that's going to be important for the dissolution. So in California and in Los Angeles County, you have to be in the state of California for six months and the county where you intend to file for three months. There might be ways around this. Some people look into legal separation where doesn't necessarily have the jurisdiction guidelines. However, if the other person responds and wants a divorce, then you might have some troubles but you don't have to necessarily necessarily divorce where you got married. And another misconception is I have a separate bank account. So everything in that account is my money. Well, not so fast. If you had money there prior to your marriage and you didn't put any of your income into that account, then it's very well can be the case that that is your separate property 
money. However, in this separate account, if you started putting your income, your bonuses, anything that has some community property attributes, attributes, it is not going to be deemed solely your separate property. To be your separate property, it has to completely be separate, meaning inheritance or gifts or something along those lines. What a lot of people yell at me about is they don't understand that once you're married, your income becomes community property, meaning your income essentially belongs to the both of you during your union. So it is not just your money as your spouse's income is not just their money. It's both of your money. (laughs) So if you start putting that into a separate account, then you're going to have some issues down the line to determine if it's actually all separate property or will your spouse be entitled to some of that money, even in a separate bank account. Another big um, misconception that I hear is women don't pay support. And over the years, this has been a big one because I think there's a lot of stigma attached to men when they ask for support. So although men may need it, I still see in my practice now where some might not ask about it because they don't want to have the stigma associated with accepting support, either child support or spousal support once their relationship ends. However, I have seen an uptick of men asking for it and a lot of women feeling a way that they have to pay it. So the courts don't hold on to gender when they're ordering support. Support is largely based on income and the differences in income. That's why there is support to make sure, you know, both parties have some, I'm not going to say equal financial resources while they go through the process, but that one is not left out to dry. If you may, if it's possible that if it's um, available for the other party to provide support. So if it's deemed that There is, and we all know, uh, well, we use a program called, I still use a program called Disso Master. There are so many other programs where we put the numbers in and it tells us what child support would be. And then a lot of courts use it for a temporary support order. So if the numbers go in and it shows that mom is actually on the hook for paying support, the court is not going to stop and say, oh, wait, you know, Mom has to pay, so maybe we shouldn't do this. The numbers are what they are. So women will be on the hook for support. So some feel it is not fair because traditionally men paid the support. But now women are working better jobs and really climbing the ladder faster and more than men and more than they have in the past. So Ladies, be aware, you might be on the hook for support. So that is a a really big misconception that uh, women don't pay. 
And back to the house situation, a lot of people feel if they're divorcing that they're going to tell their spouse to leave. It doesn't work that way. If the spouse has been there and they don't voluntarily leave, you're going to have some problems with that. Unless it is your house, ownership doesn't change. There might be some recourse there, but one party can't kick out the other party while the process is going. And as I mentioned before, especially in places in like California and high rent or high property value states, it is even harder to do so. So this is not to say that some people don't voluntarily leave on their own, but one party can't necessarily change the locks, kick out the other party. The courts do have a way to request that one party leaves, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. And so, as I mentioned before, there are some circumstances where parties are living together in the same house while they're going through the process, especially in crazy times. Right now, as I record this, we're in a COVID period. So, and divorces are way up. So with that said, while we're going through that and facing the high rent and that sort of thing, a lot of people are kind of forced to stay together or forced to stay in the same house. Another misconception is um, that you have to have an attorney in the divorce process. I will say here in Los Angeles County, at least, Divorce is heavily form-based, meaning there are a lot of documents in completing a divorce. And if you don't know what some of those boxes mean as you're going through, because they all have legal significance, then definitely you should talk to someone and make sure that you understand what you're filing with the court and make sure you understand the process and make sure you're, you're moving your case along. Because a misconception within this misconception is that the court is going to move the case for you. The court might send reminders that you need to get your divorce done. They're not necessarily going to handhold and tell you what needs to be done. So it's probably helpful to have an attorney explain the process, but now there are resources to help you. If you think your divorce is pretty simple and you don't want to pay the big bucks to have an attorney. There are services that can help you essentially fill out the documents and make sure that is done. However, most of those services cannot advise you. Some do, but technically they're not legally supposed to advise you on what is in your best interest. And then a bonus misconception is a lot of people feel that it has to be, or We have all watched too much TV, myself included, where everyone is fighting and it's this big, long, drawn out process. And in all honesty, it doesn't, it just doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. There are other ways to get the divorce done. There's mediation where the parties agree to go and sit down with the mediator to discuss how they're going to resolve their issues. And it doesn't have all of the conflict that we are used to hearing about in a divorce. Even if you don't do mediation and do the regular process where you file, the parties can agree amongst themselves as long as it's legal to do whatever they want to do in dividing their property. And 
the bigger one for me is what you're going to do with your children. You can agree to whatever you want to agree to, agree to as long as it's legal. And I have found, and a lot of people will tell you, well, a lot of attorneys will tell you, when the parties start to come to agreements themselves, that is much better than a judicial officer that you don't know. And most times does not know you and he's going or she is going to do whatever they feel one is in the best interest of your children. And then they're just going to divide your property according to California law because I'm in California. So whatever state you're in, according to that law. So if you can come up with an agreement yourself, that is much better. One, it reduces the tension Two, it gets rid of the element of surprise. And three, and most importantly, in my opinion, you're doing what's in the best interest of your particular family because all families are different. There's no one size fits all. So the more you can resolve yourselves, the less money you're paying, the less conflict you have, and the faster you can move on with your life. So no, it doesn't have to be this big, nasty, drawn out, what we see in the news with the celebrities and everyone fighting. It just doesn't have to be that. And you don't need that stress in your life, especially what we're all going through in general. So um, back to hiring an attorney, it, it might be helpful to at least have a conversation with an attorney so you can decide for yourself what's best for you. There are some attorneys also that will consult with you as you go through the process. So it's not you don't feel you have to pay and because attorneys can be expensive. I, I will admit that. So there are different ways to make sure that your documents are done correctly. And I think it's important to talk about some of your concerns that you have with the licensed attorney um, to kind of reduce the stress and reduce the fear of what you're going to face. Because I've heard so many people will say, well, my friend or my cousin or my brother went through this and this is what they told me. And as I mentioned, there's no one size fits all for everyone. Everyone has had a different experience in the divorce arena. So you want to talk to someone about your particular circumstances and what is best for your family. So I have covered today what I feel are the 10 biggest misconceptions and what I hear and have to discuss with my potential clients and my clients. And at the end of the day, what you want to do when you're getting a divorce is handle the business of divorce and divorce court, and then handle the emotional component with your support system that you select for yourself. And I think both are equally important. But what you do not want to do is bring the emotional component into the business arena, because then that's when the costs start to go up. And then you're fighting the emotional part in divorce court. And that's what starts to cost a lot of money. So if you are going to consider an attorney, make sure that they are not pushing you to fight that emotional component in the divorce arena, because that's not what it's for. I always say divorce court is handling the business of divorcing. It is not a place for therapy and for you to get the emotional healing that you need 
There's a whole nother space for that. And we're going to talk about that in one of our next shows. So I hope this has been helpful. If you're considering divorce and some of the misconceptions and all of that. So I'm going to add a bonus because I know this comes out a lot. Retirement. Everyone is really, if you still get a retirement, right? Because so many people don't get retirement anymore, but that's another issue. Retirement and health insurance. With health insurance, most companies do not allow individuals to remain on the policy if they're no longer divorced. So a lot of people say, hey, I want my spouse to keep me on health insurance. Nine times out of 10, that is not going to happen. So you need to think about that as you're planning for the termination of your relationship. And then retirement. As I mentioned, and this is a good way to think about it when you're considering filing for a divorce, anything that you've contributed to, acquired, done during the marriage, unless there's some type of writing or agreement otherwise between the two parties, whatever is done during the marriage is presumptively, meaning the courts are going to start with the understanding that if it's done during the marriage, it's community property. So if that's contributing to a retirement account, if that's paying down someone's, um, your spouse's residence, if that's buying property, whatever it is, that is what the court is going to start with. And then, um, like I said, the health insurance, once you're divorced, you might lose your health insurance, unfortunately. So, I try to give you as much as I can. Again, if there's ev- any ever a time where you want me to talk about anything as it relates to divorce or family law in California or other places, because I have friends in other places that I can ask, please don't hesitate to find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Legally Uncensored. And until you listen again, goodbye. Goodbye.